Right. What's up, Freedom Chasers? If you want to learn how to add creative financing to your tool belt, we have the show for you. I'm sitting here with a realtor that has completed over 50 seller financing transactions, and he's going to show us exactly how he did it. And we're going to jump into that right now. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies Podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. Right? Meet Eden Markowitz from rabbi to realtor and a creative financing expert. He's also a flipper and a wholesaler and he owns a single family portfolio and he recently entered the cost segregation space to help investors save money and increase cash flow. Eden Markowitz, thank you so much for joining me here, man. We'd love to jump right into it. So how do you go about marketing for creative financing deals? So essentially the on the purchase side, when we were acquisitioning these properties that we would eventually do seller financing on, uh, just like any other deal, if you want to buy a rental property or you're wholesaling, whatever your you know, exit strategy is, you know, the goal is to find properties at a discount. That's what we all want to do, right? We want to make money. And usually the most money is made in the purchase, you know, buying it at a discount. So uh, the, the strategies we were using is texting campaigns. Uh, we had cold callers, we were buying lists. I mean, we, we explored almost every avenue and we were making sure we were tracking what was working best to do more of that, spend more of your marketing money on what works best, you know? So, you know, different times, different things were working. You always got to adapt um, and pivot and, you know, keep, keep good records of, of what's bringing you the best deals, the juiciest deals and keep doing more of that. So, you know, I can't even answer what was our best method because it was constantly changing. You know, you just got to do, you know, have a bunch of different funnels of where your deals are coming from. And, you know, if it's working, pour more, more money into it and keep doing that. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, as you mentioned, it's a rotating thing, but if you, if you could pick a favorite strategy, what would that one be? I think, uh, a lot of our, the, our best deals were coming from text messages. So the text, the text that we were blasting out, uh, you know, that may go away one day. There's been a lot of talks of, you know, texting and the regulations and, you know, even through the course of the last few years, it's changed. You know, you have to, you know, text from multiple numbers because you get flagged if you do a certain amount every hour and you have to use different softwares and everything. Uh, you know, you got to get creative and, and make sure, you know, you're get, not getting in deep trouble or getting sued by anyone. Uh, but the, I would say the best source of our deals came from texting. And then, you know, you got to have good acquisitions guys that are turning those texts into, you know, solid, you know, leads, you know, if you're just texting and you're not really working the leads well, then your money's going to go down the tube. So, you know, we had great acquisitions guys that, you know, would turn deals. I mean, I've seen text messages where people told us to go F ourselves and, you know, within 24 hours, we had a signed contract. So, you know, it's about being able to work the deals, work the leads, uh, you know, and maximizing every dollar you spend on marketing. Absolutely. So for those uninformed, a text blast campaign, basically you buy a motivated seller list of some kind, and then you use a software like launch control or batch leads or something like that. And you shoot out mass texts. Mm -hmm. And basically you ask your address and you have an auto filled form. And are you willing to sell this house? Basically? Um, very cool. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm loving that you turned the FU guy into a deal. So like, how do you transition mm -hmm. from a very aggressive texter into somebody that might actually sell? I don't know. It's about to me the whole the whole acquisition industry, and that's how I started out. Uh, I was straight doing acquisitions for about three four years. That's how I got into real estate. Actually, maybe we'll talk about it later. But uh, it's about being being friendly and relating to people and finding a common ground and connecting with them. And after that, everything flows. You know, no one wants a stupid sales guy calling them and annoying them. And people are getting hundreds of calls and just you know, being rude or, you know, talking with an accent or just being awkward or crap, you know, you gotta, you gotta really quickly grab their attention and find a common ground to build a rapport with the person on the other line. And after that, you know, it takes practice, but you know, after that you work your magic and, you know, people are open, you know, if somebody is actually considering selling, then if they like you, they'll continue the conversation. I mean, I literally talked to a guy his text message said, like, I am never selling, you know, we're staying forever, you know, one of those types of messages. And then I commented something back and he he commented again and I said, hey, can I give you a call? And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I'm trying to look good here. Literally, like the next day I was at his house and signing a contract and he really didn't have a plan. Like afterwards, I, I went over to his house when he was moving out because we became good friends. And uh, I'm like, dude, where are you moving to? You know, like you told me you were staying here for forever. Like, he's like, I don't know, we're buying an RV and we're just hitting the road for now. You know, he's like, you gave me a good offer for, for the house. I didn't, you know, wasn't planning on selling, but you know, we'll take the money and figure it out. And you really never know. I mean, a lot of it is timing. You know, you can catch somebody, uh, you call them today and they're like, we're never selling. You call them in two weeks from now and things changed in their life, you know, uh, they need the money for something or someone's sick family or their tenant just wrecked the place. Or, I mean, there's 50 things that can come up last week. They could have been a dead lead. And a week from now, you know, they're, you know, they're super hot, they're flaming hot and they're ready to sell the property. So one of the most important things that people do not take seriously enough is, you know, follow up, how to follow up, tracking the follow-ups, being in touch with people. And, you know, also just building that relationship up front with someone, even if they're not a hot lead right now, you know, taking the five or 10 minutes on the phone, if that's what your job is, you're doing acquisitions, take the extra five minutes and become their friend on the phone now because they'll call you back in, in a month from now or two months. If something changes, they're not calling the other guy who was like, oh, you're not interested in selling, see you, <laughs> bye. You know, absolutely. If you take five minutes to just talk to them. You know, they're calling you back in a month from now when they things change and they need to sell their house. Without, so that's that's super. without question. We are certainly in the relationship business. So cool. You're sending out these texts or you're doing the other campaigns that you're running. How do you approach the seller and try to get them into creative financing when you're having a discussion with them? Or do you take a more open minded approach where you just try to solve their problem? Because obviously you're a realtor, too. You can wholesale, you have creative financing, you have a very robust tool belt. Do you go in with the intention of creative financing or do you just try to figure out what problem they have and try to solve it? Yeah, so like you're saying, understanding what they're going through, why they need to sell, if they need to sell. Um, and then, you know, there are multiple options. You know, if they need to sell super fast and they need to be out in a week, it looks differently than, you know, if they need six months or, do they need the cash right now? A lot of investors, like you said, 
they don't necessarily need the money. They just want to be done with being a landlord or something. So they're they're more open to, you know, financing the property to you. You know, they don't need the hundred fifty thousand dollars that the home is worth. They'd rather take, you know, ten thousand, five thousand dollar down payment and, you know, make money through interest payments over the next five years until we can pay them back. So exactly like you're saying, it's understanding the person, you know, what they need, why they want to sell the house, if they want to sell it, and how can we put a deal together that makes sense for them and for us. Absolutely tremendous. I think that's absolutely the right way to do business because you're looking for win-win scenarios. You're not looking for, you know, Eden wins and the seller loses scenarios because that's how a lot of other people do business, unfortunately. So thanks for doing things the right way, man. Okay. So let's say you get somebody that creative financing seems to be a wonderful option for them. But obviously a lot of sellers have no idea what a seller financing deal is or things of that nature. So what would you say to them in order to get them to understand the concept and kind of lead the horse to water, so to speak? So, I mean, you know, it only works for a, a select few of, of people, like most people who need to sell their home and move out and, and buy another property. They need the money from that house to buy the other property. Uh, for the most part, it's usually, you know, tired landlords or people, you know, who don't necessarily need the cash right now, which is, you know, we live in America. Most of us, most people need the money right now. You know, that's why they're selling their house. So it is a lot more. Uh, limiting on people that are open to to seller financing their properties to you, uh, but you know presenting them, educating them if they've never heard of it. Some people have heard of it, some people haven't. But you know I like to offer different options to people. Hey, if we did straight cash, it looks like this. If we do financing, this is how it looks. You know, um, and and talking to people about you know capital gains taxes and what that'll look like if they just sell the property now versus you know, getting payments over the next five or 10 years, you know, it's going to look, you're not going to get slammed and hit with, you know, all those taxes up front. And, you know, like you said, it's just understanding why they might be even open to do seller financing um, and then presenting them with different options. If you give people two, three, four options, you know, Hey, I can close in a week. It's going to be a little bit lower because I got to, I got to use like, I got to I got to borrow money to close in a week. It's going to cost me more to get the deal done. If you need three or four weeks or six weeks, I can do I can offer you more for the property. Um, if you want to finance it, you know, instead of the hundred thousand, I can pay you cash in three weeks. Now I can offer you one hundred twenty. You know, if you're willing to finance it to me, you can make a ton of more money over time. If you're in a position where you don't need the money all up front right now, you can make twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars more than you would if I just paid you out right now over the next five years. So, you know, understanding where their position is and what works best for them. Absolutely tremendous. And when you do have somebody that's willing to do the seller financing note, what is your favorite way to structure these? I mean, obviously it's gonna be case by case. Every house is gonna be different, but let's say the average median house in your area, what would that loan look like? So, I mean, most of the, most of the deals we put together were, uh, was like a five-year balloon payment where, you know, we, we, uh, you know, eventually secure our own loan. Uh, we weren't paid off in five years, but, um, you know, we, 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 uh, get the property under contract, close on it, uh, offer them a five-year balloon. We've done 10, 15, 20 years. If, you know, sometimes the, the clientele we're dealing with a little bit older, so they're not 
you know, someone in their 60s is not looking to get into a 25-year loan with you. You know, the, they're just not at that position. And most of the most of the people that we've done seller financing with on the purchase side uh, have been on the you know what's called the older side. Uh, so they want a five or 10-year payment. So uh, we structure them usually with a with a five-year or 10-year max balloon and you know, as, as low as we can get the interest rate and then the down payment, the better, you know, so we don't want to come out of pocket with anything. If they'll do 0% down, we'll do it. You know, if they'll finance it at 3%, we'll do it. You know, we start low and, you know, try not to insult them, but, uh, you know, the lowest the down payment and the finance uh, and the and the percentage on the interest rate, the better for us. So. Absolutely, man. So I'm right. Now you have this deal under contract. How are you going to market it to find a buyer or or a wrap buyer or whatever you're going to do with it? You could obviously rent it out retail too, but let's talk about your marketing strategy. So for the, we did a ton of seller finances on the sale end. So, you know, when we got, we bought properties for cash, uh, we actually uh, we actually brought on an investor um, out of New York who would finance, he would pay for the entire purchase price of the home. Uh, we we're buying houses cash. Um, and we would essentially, let's say on a level of a one to 10, these homes that were conditioned somewhere between a five and a seven, they weren't, you know, market ready. They weren't like horrendous, horrendous. We tried to find homes that were kind of livable, that needed some updating. Um, so we were getting them under contract. Uh, we'd buy them cash within probably, you know, between 20 and 40 days. Um, in that time period, when we were, we hadn't even closed on the property yet, we were already marketing them on Facebook for sale. So we had them under contract. We were already selling them. And there were times where we had the property sold to an end buyer, you know, a day after we closed on it, we already had it sold to an end buyer and there was basically no holding costs or any waiting period in between the time that we closed on it and then we ended up selling it to one of these wrap buyers um, you know that that uh, were the end buyer on the property um 95 percent of the homes that we sold were all through facebook um different local uh uh like flea market groups uh we had uh someone who was bilingual who was taking videos in, in, you know, in Spanish, uh, you know, doing a tour of the property, doing one in English and one in Spanish, uh, posting them on different groups on Facebook. And I mean, we had times where we had 30 people show up to a showing and we're fighting. I mean, there was one time where he just said, you know, 10 people wanted the house and he's like, Hey, whoever brings me, you know, cashier check the fastest gets the house and people freaking ran to the bank to go get that cashier check and, and they were back within like 15 minutes. So, you know, some of them sold like hotcakes because it's, I mean, the most powerful thing that, that I saw in this business was when people would come to our office to close on the home, more than 50% of people were in tears, uh, you know, signing a purchase contract with us because so many people want to own homes. You know, it's the American dream to own to own a home here in America, and they can't because bad credit. You know, they have issues with a with a you know a spouse that just got divorced, or they own their own business and you know they don't have two years of tax returns, or you know all the reasons why someone wouldn't be able to buy a home. 
you know, we were able to vet them, you know, through RMLO, a loan officer, to make sure that they could afford the payments with us. We weren't lending to people who, you know, you know, we weren't confident could actually make payments. But, you know, to see people in tears, you know, signing a purchase contract, that was like the most fulfilling and awesome part about all the seller financing deals that we did. Absolutely, man. That is the beauty of the seller wrap in particular, because you could often find scenarios where every single person in the transaction wins. The rent buyer wins, you win, you win a lot, and the seller wins, right? So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's an abundance of opportunity with this strategy, in particular right now, because there's a ton of people out there with very low credit due to COVID or something like that, but they have very high income. And as you mentioned, Spanish people may not be able to purchase a property. So it's a great opportunity for people out there in general. Um, just in case somebody listening doesn't know what a wrap is, could you just explain that concept real quick for us? Yeah, so we would go, once we were, we, we got a property under contract, we'd buy it cash actually, which you don't need to do, but that was our strategy. We were buying it cash, but we didn't want to have, let's say $100,000 stuck in that deal. We wanted to pull our money back out so we can buy more and more and more. We didn't want to get cashed out. Um, so we had a local bank that we used that knew what it, that we were going to just turn around and sell that property to someone else. They were 100% okay with us getting, they got an appraisal on the property. They did like a desktop appraisal let's say $100,000 house, uh, you know, came, appraisal came in, you know, we, we had it under contract for, let's say 80, because we want to get at a discount. The appraisal came in at 100. They would usually lend us around between 75 and 80% of the home's value would be the loan to us. So we try to have as little as possible invested in the property. Um, so we go to them, we'd submit the property, they did their appraisal, and they'd go ahead and give us back almost all the money that if we got at a, a decent enough discount, we get almost all of our money back, you know, when we went and financed it with them. So we'd get a mortgage for, you know, somewhere between four and a half and five and a half percent. Um, we'd market the property, that same property that we bought for around 80, you know, the bank thinks it's worth around a hundred as is we'd go and market it for somewhere between hundred, 130 ish range. So we had, a thirty to fifty thousand dollars spread on what we paid for it and what we're selling it to an end buyer. Uh, we'd go market it like we said before on Facebook and all this stuff. Lock up that buyer, and then essentially we became the bank to them. We locked in our mortgage with our bank at four and a half, five and a half percent, and they'd be paying us around nine and a half percent. So that four to five percent spread is our delta, what we'd be making every month on the payments. Uh, and that that was our profit it, it, on most of those deals we were we were buying them in the low 100s and selling them to mid to upper 100s to like 200 range the cash flow just so you have an idea on that was somewhere between four and six hundred dollars cash flow per property um and obviously there's no maintenance you don't own the home so you're not fixing any toilets or roofs or that's all on the new buyer right they're not they're not renting from you they own the home so that's $600 and you have no expenses on that. And the buyer is usually paying for the loan servicing, which is about 35 bucks a month. So in addition to their payments, they're paying for loan servicing as well. So you have zero, literally zero expenses and you're cash flowing, you know, between four and 600 bucks a month. 
Absolutely, and that's why this is such a brilliant strategy. Um, I love that you're buying them cash and then refinancing it and then wrapping it. That's a clever strategy. I haven't heard that one. But like anybody listening, like you could get a seller to finance it to you and say your down payment is $10,000. You can have the wrap buyer pay $20,000. So you're not paying anything out of pocket. You literally make $10,000 to gain um, equitable interest in this property. And then you cash flow four to 500 bucks a month, as he said. And then you cash out on the back end if they manage to refinance during the period. So you actually make profit three ways on one deal and there's nothing out of pocket. Um, that is why the seller wrap is one of the most brilliant strategies that there is. Um, thank you so much for getting into that, Eden. I would love to learn a little bit more about Eden Markowitz. So what got you into real estate in the first place? So I, I had a lot of friends that were in the real estate world, different capacities, realtors, investors, multifamily, single family. I was always interested in it, but you know, as you know, a lot of people are, it's hard to really break through and, you know, where do you start? Who do you get involved with? You know, uh, I actually was listening to a podcast, you know, as everyone else here is, uh, the power of podcasts and how many people it can reach. And, uh, I heard a local uh, investor talking here in Dallas and uh, heard his podcast, reached out to him and asked if I could, you know, help for free and bring any value. And, uh, you know, long story short, next thing I was, uh, I was the one thing I said that I never was going to do when I was listening to podcasts was become a wholesaler. You know, there's kind of like a bad rap out there for wholesalers. And I'm like, oh, that that's shady. And, you know, uh, but I became a I became an acquisitions manager for a wholesaling company. Um, you know, just started learning the business through that. I learned how to negotiate, uh, how to prepare contracts, how to talk to sellers. Uh, that you know gave me some more knowledge to understand repairs and you know fixing up homes. And you know, one thing leads to the next. You got to keep educating yourself, listening to more podcasts, reading more books, networking, talking to people. Uh, now, I was in the real estate world for two years, you know, doing acquisitions. I hadn't bought a single property or done a single flip or anything. And I was like, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm getting all these houses under contract and I don't have anything to show for. I'm not doing any flips or any, you know, rentals or anything. And I met up with a gentleman in my synagogue and he said, uh, he's like, hey, I got some money. I, I heard you're, you're able to find some good deals. He's like, if you ever find a good deal, you know, I'll fund the entire purchase. I have relationships, I have the money, I know, you know, I have a good line of credit with the bank. You find the deal, I'll fund 100% of it. We'll go 50-50 on the deal, which was super generous of him. I was expecting him to like offer me 10% of the deal or something, but you know, he's like, we'll be, we'll be 51, 49 partners on this. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, it probably took a couple months, but two months later I found a deal. It was in Arlington, three bedroom, two bath brick home. And I sent it over to him and he's like, all right, let's do it. And, uh, me and him ended up, we ended up buying four houses together. And, you know, a lot of people, the hardest thing is to do their first deal. You know, the first that just doing that first deal is super tough. I mean, you're nervous, you don't know what you're doing. You don't have the money. You don't have the connections. Like you're completely lost. There's, there's 50 things like we all know that can go wrong. You know, having a contractor and a bank and a lender and a, a realtor and I mean there's there's so many it, it becomes like overwhelming but you know if you know the right people and you're willing to take that risk and jump in and do that first deal after that you know you learn new things every time and it gets easier and uh, 
you know, thankfully that, that guy approached me and we did that one deal. We ended up buying four houses together. And I mean, since then I probably, you know, uh, I'm, I'm close to a hundred deals, you know, since then. So, you know, it just takes, you know, just having the guts to do that first deal and talk to people and figure it out. And after that, just keep learning and build those connections. That's what it's all about, man. So I know you're focusing on cost segregation now. So why don't we just talk about what cost segregation is just in case the audience is unaware. And then let's talk about what you're doing with it. Yeah. So cost segregation is like, it's legit, like one of the hidden secrets of real estate that I think it's become a little bit more popular over the last couple of years, but and I've talked to people who've been investing for, for 30 years and they, they don't know, they never even heard of it. Uh, it became super popular more recently. Uh, but I'll give you the, the short version because it could take a couple hours to really explain it. But the short, short version is, uh, if you're not familiar with most investors uh, are familiar, some believe it or not, don't even understand a basic principle of depreciation. So what depreciation is, is, you know, you buy a house for a hundred thousand uh, dollars. The, the IRS, uh, will allow you to depreciate that property on a single family. It's 27 and a half years. So you have a hundred thousand dollars excluding the land, which is not land is not depreciable, but excluding the land, your property depreciates every year. It goes down in value, even though it's, it's really going up in value. We all know real estate goes up, not down, but you're allowed to have a, 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 a tax uh, deduction uh, every year on your tax return for every, every property that you own on that schedule of 27 and a half years for a residential property and 39 years on a commercial property. So whatever your price is that you bought, it goes off of your purchase price, uh, minus, you know, take off the value of the land, the property depreciates and you get to use that deduction every year on your tax return. So most investors are familiar with that concept where cost seg comes in and where it's super interesting and can save people tons on taxes and, and allow them to cash flow so much better is there's five year property and 15 year property on every every house or every office building every mobile home park everything five year property is you know flooring kitchen cabinets uh countertops light fixtures those are those are items that they're not going to last for 40 years so you're allowed to depreciate those items over a five-year schedule. Uh, Fifteen-year property is more <clears throat> landscaping, concrete things on the exterior of the property. Um, so that's five-year property and fifteen-year property, which can you can depreciate those over a much shorter period of time because they have a, a le you know much shorter shelf life. Uh, the actual structure of the property, which makes up you know between seventy and eighty percent of the property that has to stay on the 27 and a half year or 39 year depreciation schedule but all the other items you can depreciate those and take the tax deductions on that stuff especially now with we still have the bonus depreciation you can even take that all of it up front so all of your five year and 15 year property uh you know things are changing but you can get massive tax deductions uh by utilizing the cost segregation study to break down all those items and say, Hey, you know, he bought this house for a million dollars, you know, the light fixtures, the flooring, all these items, there's, 
$200,000 of 15 and five year property that you can take $200,000 right now today as a tax deduction. And that's how so many powerful people, Donald Trump and, you know, really successful real estate investors paid a lot less on their taxes by utilizing this tool. It's one of the, it's one of the secret gems that's not so much of a secret anymore, but it's becoming a lot more popular and we probably won't have time to get into it, but you know, do, do some research on it. it's, it's super hot in the Airbnb business right now, because it's one of the only ways where if you're operating an Airbnb, um, it's one of the only ways where you can use a cost segregation study to uh, deduct from your W-2 salary. So if you're a W-2 worker and you're managing uh, an Airbnb property, obviously talk to your CPA. I'm not a CPA and I'm not giving you advice, but it's one of the loopholes where you can offset your W-2 income by using a cost segregation study on an Airbnb property if all the, all the criteria are met uh, to pay little or less taxes on your W-2 earnings. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for sharing. As you said, cost segregation is an incredibly important strategy. Anybody that's not utilizing it now needs to. Um, it's cool, man. We just hit the new year. What are your goals over the next 12 months or so? So I'm still I'm still buying uh, rentals, buying and hold. Uh, it's gotten tougher with uh, the interest rates and, and locking in long term uh, debt on those. So I've, I've slowed down a little bit on the buy and hold. Uh, Still doing some flips in the right areas. The market has changed, so you know, being cautious on, you know, how much I'm paying for properties, what areas, making sure they're, you know, I just just finishing up a flip now, went under contract actually last night around 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I knew the area was good, and uh, I had about 40 showings on it in two weeks. So you know, I'm going to market that area again and try to find another flip in that. If you know something works, you know, do it again. So know your markets, know you know, know where the areas that are still hot and still selling for top dollar. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to do some more flips, but I'm actually, you know, focusing more on, on the cost seg side uh, and, you know, trying to help out as many investors as I can, you know, doing the cost seg studies. And that's really most of my focus now. I'm still investing, you know, in some flips and some rentals on the side, but my main focus now is focusing on the cost seg and helping people out with the, you know, doing those studies. Absolutely tremendous stuff, man. So if anybody wanted to reach out with you, perhaps they needed some advice with cost segregation, like what would be the best way for them to accomplish that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm available. Uh, you know, they can reach out. We can do a free uh, free call. We can discuss if it makes sense. It doesn't make sense for everybody. There's a lot of different factors to weigh in, you know, whether doing a cost seg study is going to be beneficial for you. Uh, it doesn't work for everyone. So it's not just, hey, let's do a cost seg study and save money on taxes doesn't work like that, unfortunately, but it does, it does help a ton of people. So I'm happy to jump on a call with anyone, uh, anytime, uh, and discuss whether it makes sense for them. Um, the company that I work for Madison specs, uh, we do provide free proposals. So as long as I have the purchase price of the property, you know, we talk for a few minutes and I think, Hey, I think this makes sense. And you probably can, you know, really utilize the study. Uh, we'll send it over to our team. We have, you know, over 30 people on the team. It's all done in-house by professionals. Uh, they'll generate like a projection of what kind of uh, deduction you might be looking at uh, by utilizing the study. Uh, it's all free. There's no cost. And if you want to move forward, then, 
you know, we get the study done for you, and then you save save millions on taxes, baby. Yeah. There you go. Save millions on taxes, baby. Um, Eden Markowitz, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. Let's go out there and take massive action. You might want to learn more about cost segregation if you own a lot of properties and you're not utilizing that concept yet because it is very, very important. Also, tell somebody that will hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.